Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times. Sarah Whitmire, my co-host, the News Bureau Chief for WFIU and WTIU, is off on assignment. Today we're going to be talking about uh, the school start times, the changes in the Monroe County Community School Corporation, and all the issues surrounding when school should st- or students should start their school day. We have three guests uh, with us in the studio. Jenny Stevens is a parent uh, for, with a student in Jackson Creek Middle School, and she's been very active in terms of uh, education issues for the last several years. Tim Pritchett is a Monroe County Community School Corporation Public Relations and Information Officer, and Walter Walter Burke is the, a visiting assistant professor of education in the IU School of Education, and he is a former school superintendent. You can join the conversation by calling 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So I want to welcome all of you to the program, and Wally Burke, I want to have to say that you're a graduate of Bloomington High School North, in case anybody out there is wondering. Yes, I it's, am. It's the same, same guy. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, thanks for being here. And, Tim, I want to start with you. If you could sort of frame this conversation. Uh, you know, the MCCSC had a lot of conversations in the last year or so, really, about school start time and what's best for the secondary school students, what's best for the elementary school students. Uh, sort of take us through that, that debate. Sure, yeah, I'll take you through um, just a quick timeline of what happened. If we go all the way back to 2010, uh, the MCCSC school day had been static for, I believe, more than two decades, Uh, the same start times for elementary and secondary. In 2011, the school day was lengthened at the elementary level by an hour a day, except for Wednesday. We introduced that Wednesday late start uh, with our professional learning community model. And then the secondary day was lengthened by 45 minutes a day. And pretty much from the time that change occurred, we started to solicit feedback and input. This came from a Kelly School of Business um, graduate student capstone study. We put together a length of day committee, which I believe Jenny was actually on. And that continued, it sort of settled down for a bit, and then this past year when we were working on our new three-year calendar, we hosted two public forums on the calendar, and what really started to rear up in those was that the school day and the calendar were so tightly wound together. So following that in October, uh, we launched a really comprehensive transportation study, with transportation being the, you know, the major factor in our determination on what we can adjust in the school day, um, started to solicit more parent input and went from there. Mm-hmm. Now, I, you know, I remember the a lot of the discussions before 2011. Um, MCCSC had the shortest school day of the year. That was a lot of the reason that um, that those discussions came about. Jenny, the committee you were on, I mean, you looked at a lot of different things and settled on this um, calendar, this, this school schedule that, that we had. You know, what are some of the things you took into account? When we looked at uh, this issue back in 2012, one of the things that we were doing was working with KEEP, and we were looking at the outcomes of the longer day. And at that point, it was it was um, just astounding how we were improving uh, kids' educational outcomes, their engagement, um, the uh, intervention model, which the longer day was facilitating, was really in improving our performers who had struggled to get that time and attention. But we also were looking at how 
to deal with that issue of what does a what do we do when a kid has learned it, and what do we do with a kid that hasn't uh, learned it, and how to integrate that, sort of give everybody a chance to um, learn. So that was a huge thing that, that Keep said, you're seeing astounding results. This is coming from teacher surveys that we did, and um, we think you need to just watch that and, and to gather evidence. So the committee recommended to do things like brain breaks, um, to make sure that kids were being active every so often. Um, and we really wanted to then revisit the issue a few years down the road, which is, you know, kind of what has happened. Now, you refer to KEEP, and that's uh, the Center for... Education, Evaluation, and, and Policy. Policy. Right, from IU, right? Yeah, and there's there are two wonderful ladies there, um, Annie and Patty, who've been very helpful. And they actually came and participated with this um, three-year calendar process. And so the issue of longer day then, um, or length of day, then came out again through the calendar process, but it was also an issue that was very timely because that these were people that had been tracking this a little bit. Um, once you participate in a committee, you never lose those issues, and so you continually are always asking people well, how is this working for your family? Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Burke, you're, I assume that uh, as superintendent, you had to deal with issues of the length of the school day and all the transportation issues, everything that goes into this. So, you know, what what do you what would you recommend? What do you look for when you're trying to figure out how long should students be in school? I think the real key to the length of a school day comes down to reasonableness. Um, there are certainly limits you can push in shortening a school day and limits you can push by lengthening one. Um, I think the real key is what you do with kids during the school time that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a pretty good body of research out there that says uh, in schools that seat allocation time is not as important um, as engaged time for students. Um, and even inside that engaged time, there's uh, something that Aaron's and some researchers called academic uh, instruction time, meaning when kids are prepared to learn and are really focused and are engaged in such a manner that learning's taking place. You can have a reasonable length of day, regardless of 15, 20, 30 minutes, any direction. As long as you improve that academic instruction time and focus on it, you're doing a good job with kids. Mm-hmm. And in this particular case, I mean, some of the issues were, you know, with the length of the school day, I think you heard from, Tim, I think you heard from a lot of parents that the elementary students were just exhausted when they got home. And I know that was one of the issues was should we shorten the day for the elementary students. And then, of course, the other two big issues are um, uh, Superintendent Judy DeMuth pointed to safety issues for when the younger kids start school. And there's a whole lot of research out there that says that the secondary students are starting too early. So, you know, how do you balance all those things? And, and first of all, have I uh, sort of framed that correctly? And how do you balance all those things? Yeah, I think balance is a perfect word. You know, it, it looks like a finite math problem or an amoeba. You know, you squeeze it over here and it pops out on the other side. And we sat down, you know, I haven't been doing math all day, every day for the past two weeks since we announced this. But prior to that, for months, we were, we were doing math and spreadsheets every day. Because when you're trying to move the secondary start time back, shorten your elementary day, and, you know, originally we were looking primarily at the end of the elementary day with that 340 or 350 dismissal. And some of our bus routes were getting kids home at 530 in the evening and we were trying to push that back up. 
But starting secondary later, one of our options that we considered actually switched the elementary secondary start time. And the recommendation was 8.30 a.m. And you know we had a lot of questions following our proposal that we could make it work at an 8 o'clock and an 8.45. Someone said, you know, why not 8.30? And that's where that transportation window comes in, that we're looking at a 50-minute transportation window either direction. So an 8.30 start time means the other tier starts at either 9.20 or at 7.40 in the morning. And uh, that that's where we started to get into those safety discussions, and it really became a balancing act. And that's where we finally landed was what we felt was the best balance to meet all the needs Mm -hmm. on the table. Jenny, as a parent, are you uh, satisfied with where this has ended up? I am am optimist and I am encouraged because moving to back to the eight, I think was significant. I think one of the early proposals had just to move by 10 minutes and 10 minutes didn't feel like it would be enough to give the kids a little bit of extra sleep. so I, I know in our household, we've been really happy with the 8 because, uh, you know, it's preferable to the 740. Uh, my daughter uh, in her school uh, came home and reported how the kids actually sat down and did math about whether going to 8 was a better deal for them because they were giving up their late Wednesday start. So, um, and uh, they had a big discussion, uh, you know, not in the classroom, but in their Spanish teacher just let them kind of go off and do their thing, but they convinced all their peers that yes, this was eight o'clock was definitely the best deal they could get. So, <laughs> and, um, yeah, and we probably should say for those of you, uh, those of our listeners who haven't been following this for once, who are out of Monroe County, so the uh, middle school and high school kids were starting at seven forty a.m. and now with the new schedule, they'll move back to. 8 a.m. Right. The elementary students were starting at 8.35, and with the new schedule, they moved to 9. So I think, you know, when I announced it um, through our social media, which the high schoolers immediately picked up during the board meeting, how I framed it was we went back to our 2010 start times. And essentially what we did, the, the time we added on in 2011, we chopped it in half at both levels. So we added an hour at the elementary. We went back to the same start time. And now it's only 30 minutes longer than it was in 2010. And at the high school level, it's 25 minutes longer uh, than it was in 2010. Okay. And uh, Dr. Burke, you talked about how you know, it's most important what you do in, you know, in the seats as opposed to the length of the day. Does that sound like a reasonable um, change? 30 minutes and 25 minutes are those small enough, I guess, to, uh, to not harm the education of the students? Uh, I think it's fine in terms of the length of the student day. Um, And I think Tim hit it when he said it's a matter of balance uh, in all the factors. Um, You asked me initially as superintendent about length of school day issues. It's one of those things that I tried to avoid like the plague, (laughs) simply because even minor changes in the the daily schedules and routines of 11,000 families is difficult to accomplish and to do it without wrinkle in terms of babysitters and child care and transportation and traffic issues and everything else along with it. But it comes down to do you have a reasonable day? Are you achieving good objectives during the time you have with them? And most importantly, is your community supportive of what you're doing? Mm -hmm. That's a key. All right, our, our phone numbers are 812-855-0811 here in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, and you can follow us on Twitter 
at Noon Edition. A couple of these hot-button issues, though, involve, um, you know, I, I guess uh, the superintendent's position on safety and the perception of safety for students. And then on the other side was the, the health and well-being of the secondary students because um, the you know the health of, there there are i guess the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics has a study the CDC has a study that both say that the these older students just should be going to school at 8:30 or later um, let's take the first uh, question first, uh, I guess Tim, I'll, I'll go to you. The the safety issue for elementary school students. I mean, it seems like a, a reasonable issue. You don't want six, seven, eight year old kids out waiting for a bus when it's really dark outside. Are there any studies? Is there any evidence that would say that that's something that you know we really need to be concerned about? Well, you know. We talked about that some when those questions started to come up, and really that's not a study that, you know, a study of whether or not kids are unsafe in the dark in the morning is something that I don't want to be a part of that study, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's not something we want to test to find out if kids are unsafe in the dark, but looking at it, that, you know, an 8 a.m. start time, we have 128 preschoolers who are eligible for transportation, and those are three, four, and five-year-olds. So we were in one of those scenarios talking about three, four, and five-year-olds starting at 8 a.m. Or in the, the one we finally determined, we're talking about 15, 16, 17-year-olds starting at 8 a.m. And when it came to safety and transportation, that, that was the kicker for us, that we are okay. If someone's going to be out waiting for a bus to get to school at 8 a.m., I would rather them be you know, more likely to be four foot tall or taller versus three foot tall or two and a half feet tall uh, waiting out there for the bus. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it, um, from either of your two perspectives, that issue resonate with you? Well, it, it resonates with me because I actually have a window that looks out on um, a road where a lot of kids do walk to school. So I could really easily imagine a lot of, we have two schools that have a lot of walkers, and so if we start elementary too soon, then these kids could be out in the dark. Um, but also I get to watch the bus pick up from my kitchen window as well. And we have some street lights in the neighborhood, so I see the large looming figures of the, of the very cool high school kids standing out there. And, uh, I, and I can tell you, I feel much better with them standing out there because I know young kids, my young kids, always didn't stand there. They ran around and they grabbed each other's things. And even the walkers used to throw the paper up on neighbors' you know, doorsteps. So they are not going to follow a plan when they're young beyond you know, their own ideas. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's um, uh, an issue everywhere. Um, I don't have data or any evidence to back it up, but I bet there are very few school districts in the state of Indiana where secondary school students go to school first. Mm -hmm. um, and, and my attention would go to what happens after school. Um, there is a, a pretty good body of research out there about latchkey students. Uh, that if they are latchkey and alone for more than three hours, there's a real drop-off in their student achievement and in their involvement in discipline problems and a whole litany of problems. So if you can shorten the time that especially young children are latchkey after school, I think that's a real advantage. I think, too, when you send your secondary students home first and they've got the earlier day, you've got 
child care providers built in for some of those younger students, whether they're siblings or whether it's the uh, kid down the street you're hiring to watch your elementary students as they come home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those are factors in safety and in, in issues for a community as well. So, you know, again, I, we've used the word balance several times. You know, on the other side of this argument is is the the data, and there there is a, a body of research that's been done that says that you know the high school age kids just aren't ready to study. They're not ready to work. They're at until 8:30 or later in the morning, and that they're they're not ready to go to sleep until late at night. So they're losing sleep. It's creating you know health issues. Um, you know how. How do you address that side of the coin, too? Is it this 20 minutes, Tim? I, you know, I think we move as close as we can to it and continue to look at it and look at ways um, those logistical considerations and the one that Dr. Burke just mentioned about, um, you know, secondary kids being home before their elementary siblings. That was one brought up by all of our principals when we discussed this with our principals and got their input. Um, some of those logistical things are just their realities that we face. Um, looking around the state, I know Fort Wayne was one that was cited um, in those original Herald Times articles that came out. Fort Wayne starts, I believe, at 9.05 or 9.10, and their secondary kids get out after 4 o'clock. But if you roll back and look at their schedule, they have some kids who are starting at 7.30 or 7.40 because they have four tiers of transportation. So regardless of who, you know, when if, if we get somebody past that 8.30 mark, somebody still has to go first. And at this time, given everything that we were able to consider, which was pretty comprehensive, we made that determination that eight is where we can get it. And uh, if we could close that transportation window, between uh, one tier and another, uh, we could continue to, you know, move that back a little bit later. Yeah, I, I want to talk about transportation uh, probably after the break here in a few minutes. But first, I want to talk about just the decision-making process. I mean, this is a decision that is made not by the school board, but by the superintendent of schools, correct? This was. Yes, yeah. was. Yeah. So, um, you know, talk about, the, I, I guess, talk about the structure and and Dr. Burke, as a former superintendent, I mean, talk about the, 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 the sort of governing structure of a school corporation. You know, we, we elect school board members. What's their proper role in this? Because a lot of our school board members were pretty vocal. They wanted, or at least a few were vocal. They wanted the secondary students to start later. You know, what's the role of the board in this versus the role of superintendent? Who does have the power to do this? Well, ultimately, the power of any decision in a school district lies with its school board. Um, That doesn't mean that that's the way things should function effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, Superintendents are hired by boards of education because of their expertise, because of their leadership, and because of their ability to make decisions even in collaborative fashion with community members and staff members and the board itself. Um, So I think in best... You can see a board of education and a superintendent as members of the same team. Mm-hmm. Um, that superintendent has a role to play in addressing issues and bringing recommendations before a board or to make sometimes difficult issues uh, that uh, impact large numbers of families and kids. Um, but certainly the leadership role in the school district um, begins with that superintendent and, and ultimately has to be supported by a board of education. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, I want to ask about transportation because I know that's, uh, you know that's a big issue. But I think we better take a break, 
first because we're going to talk about that for a little bit of time and it's uh, we're running up against our our half time so we're we're talking about uh, public school start times school start times and what's best for the students uh, what's best for the community and how these decisions get made uh, you're listening to noon edition we'll be right back This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiunews.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each weekday afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, and we have three guests with us on the studio in the studio as we talk about school start times and start time issues. Jenny Stevens is a parent in the MCCSC, a parent of a Jackson Creek Middle School student, and uh, she also has been very active in school issues for the last several years. Uh, Tim Pritchett, the Monroe County Community School Corporation Public Relations and Information Officer is with us as well, as is Walter Burke, the a visiting assistant professor of education at the IU School of Education and a former school superintendent and a graduate of Bloomington High School North. I have to throw that in there. You can join us on the, the uh, program today, 812-855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition and you can follow us on twitter at noon edition we really like to hear from you uh this is a hot topic it's been a hot topic in monroe county and i'm sure it's a hot topic wherever you are about what time kids go to school we were sort of laughing about it um in a in sort of a well i don't know what I don't know. We were laughing about the fact that everybody does have uh, experience with school and sort of has opinions on what's best for school corporations and why why teachers and why superintendents and why school boards should make decisions because we've all, of course, been to school and succeeded and survived and thrived. So if you've got the, those kind of uh, ideas, give us a call and, uh, you know, we'll, we'd like to hear from you. Um, so the transportation issue is one that always comes up in this um, this discussion. And um, Dr. Burke, as a former superintendent, if you could sort of explain to us the, the sort of depth of this issue, trying to get kids to and from school. And I know you had uh, some experience in Franklin Township with this <laughs> very issue that maybe you could uh, bring up and, ex and uh, tell our, our listeners about. Well, transportation is an issue for any school district because you have to make decisions about who rides your buses, when they ride them, and where they ride them from. Um, in some cases, in, in Monroe County's case, you've got a, potentially 11,000 students to put on a bus and bring to school and get them home every day. 
Um, the first decision typically is who do you want on those buses at the same time? If you put your preschool students all the way through your high school students on the same bus routes, that's exceptionally efficient. However, you've got three, four, and five-year-old preschool students on a bus with an eighth grader. Not always the ideal situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you begin to break them into tiers, and then you're limited by the number of buses as to how many routes you can run at any time and how long you have to wait before you begin the next tier of bus routes. Uh, I think I heard Tim say it's a 50-minute turnaround in, in Monroe County. So you have to separate those the beginning times of different levels depending on what kids you put on those buses by at least 50 minutes. Uh, and then it gets complicated even more because does that time, the, the routes themselves, do they get longer if you're providing door-to-door service for younger students or are you uh, getting collection points throughout your community? And then it comes down to where do you find enough drivers to put on those buses and pay for the buses and pay for a transportation system? So, yeah, it's a complex situation. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that you know when you were a superintendent in Franklin County, you did away with buses, right? Transportation. So, uh, explain that story. How'd that work? <laughs> <laughs> this is one I thought I'd put long behind me. I'm but sorry. I'm bringing um, it up back up. We had some real financial problems in Franklin Township. Um, the result of property tax caps uh, and an unusual debt situation prior to the caps in our school and community. Um, the bottom line it came down to, we could either keep our general fund money and maintain an excellent education program or start cutting teacher salaries in order to transport kids or start cutting teacher positions in order to transport kids. And our question came down, if we do that, what are we transporting those children to? Mm -hmm. Uh, And we decided that our education program was much more valuable to all of us and to our children and to our community than was transportation. So when uh, we failed to pass a referendum to support that transportation in our community, we ended transportation for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, the result, uh, quite frankly, was legislation from the state of Indiana that allowed us to restructure our debt in a fashion that allowed us to have transportation and maintain our education program, for which we were very thankful for many legislators and leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, we did that pretty effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, we passed an entire school year without transporting any students that we weren't required to transport. And uh, it's not something I would encourage any school district to consider. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it brings up a larger point about about the operation of a of a school corporation. You know, I think people um, sort of assume that there's going to be there's going to be school buses. Those yellow school buses are going to be out there. They're going to be taking kids to school, and that's just part of the package. But that. You know, that, that and that there are going to be school lunches and that there are going to be extracurricular activities and that you're going to provide a great education. And, you know, in fact, it's like running, a, you know, a, a county or a city in a lot of ways. Tim, we were talking before, I think you said one of the principals uh, talks about running a little city. Right, uh, right. Yeah, and, you know, I think if people uh, didn't catch the work session in February, the school day work session, it was like two hours long. We went through every nook and cranny of this situation. Uh, Gib Nicewander, our transportation director, went through bullet by bullet 
of all the considerations in transportation. And you look at the southern part of the county, for example, uh, we've got Rogers, Benford, which combined have, you know, short of a thousand students or somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, that's one district that shoots all the way down to the southern end of the county. And we actually have a bus that goes across the causeway into Lawrence County and comes back and picks up some students in Monroe County and loops back around. Likewise, we have a bus that goes into Morgan Monroe Forest up on the northern end of Monroe County line. So when you start talking about that transportation window and the logistics with a, a geographic situation like we have in Monroe County, it's very, very complex. Mm -hmm. We have a phone call, or not a phone call, but we have an online question about uh, what would what happen if Indiana moved back to central time? Would that be helpful? Would that change things? Do you want to tackle that? Well, Jane? I'll be glad to tackle that. I, I'm a big proponent of we should be on central time. That's, you know, if we look at sundials and do all that, we are very close to central time. And it makes a huge difference. I have a sister-in-law who lives out east, works in the school system there. It's not a problem there. We could probably look at a, that as being a viable issue with keeping our young kids safe, if we were on central time, it would be lighter sooner. And I think it's also one of the things that makes this 8.30 ideal start for um, the older children more relevant because our kids are getting up in the dark and they're getting on the bus in the dark. And as an adult, I don't like that dark situation. So um, I think central time, yay. Let's get a team together and press on our legislators to pass that. The school corporation doesn't have the ability to, to advocate for that in the way that we as citizens can. Right. Either one of you have, want to comment on Central Time? I mean, I grew up in Evansville, so Evansville is on, I guess, the eastern edge of Central, um, and here we are on the western edge of Eastern, and it, it's very different. Uh, the daylight, the summers, uh, I know here in Bloomington, we went to daylight savings time, what, eight years ago-ish, something like that, um, which was odd for me when I moved here that we didn't change clocks, that the clocks were the same all year. I thought that was odd. And everybody who grew up here thinks it's odd that we change now. Um, what it would do for us, though, those morning hours, it would change the darkness, for sure. If we were, if we were on central time, those, some of those darkness considerations that we were talking about for student safety would be impacted. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you want to give us a call, you can do that at 812-855-0811 here in Bloomington or 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. Or you can join the live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So if you could, you know, those of you who have been in schools a lot, can you talk about that early, the early morning hour, like in the secondary schools? I mean, I, you know, I, I went to school a long, long, long time ago, but it always started with like a home room where nothing was really going for the first 20 minutes or so. What, what are things like today? Jenny? Well, it, my children have all had classes first thing in the morning, except um, I think briefly there was something called SRT for my older daughter when she went to South, and then she would start on that time uh, with that class. But, um, you know, I think the issue with our, our kids um, is that when my oldest was going through at eight, I didn't hear the issues about the, the tiredness as being that prevalent. Um, and either we're getting smarter because we now have some studies that, that kind of bring this up, or else the 740 start just really, um, you know, affected our children. Um, it's not just 
that when the secondary kids start. It's also when their activities end in the evening. And a lot of times there's a school-sponsored activities um, where they're going on competitions that are somewhat far away. But a lot of times within our home, we've now got this prevalence of electronics. And I think that that does affect um, the amount of kids that are engaged in this electronic stuff. Um, I think that no matter what we do with the start time, we all as parents have to be pretty vigilant with our children getting home in time, working uh, with the coaches and the academic leaders to say, can instead of the concert starting at 7, can it start at 6.30 and then my high schooler will be home at 9? Um, I mean, it, so that's how I look at it. I look at it as as uh, an issue that we still should be engaging with the school corporation. We should be advocating for the rest that our children need. Mm -hmm. We did a story, Michael Reschke went out and did a story at, at North a couple of years ago where he sort of followed, uh, might have been just a year ago, but he, he we wanted to do a day in the life of a school, you know, from the beginning of the school day to the end of the school day. And I think that's another thing that maybe, um, you know, we wanted to illustrate it in print because I think a lot of people don't really think about the fact that that first person arrives at school at what time? Five o'clock, 530, the, the first custodial people and then the last people who leave late at night. It's it's running all the time. So, um, again, Tim and and Dr. Burke, if you could both sort of talk about, you know, this operation of a school from not just the, you know, that seven-hour window when when kids are in school, but operating and keeping the school buildings going from very early morning till late at night, and you know how that might, I don't know, are there changes that could be done with that? Like Jenny's talking about starting things in the evening a little bit earlier. Sure. When. You know, I talk about it like a cascading effect. I think I, I use that term a few times in work sessions where any tweak or adjustment or edit to the school day just has this cascade all the way down. So when we look at some of those evening events, some of those are dependent just on us. If we're doing a band concert at North, for example. Um, but if you're talking about athletic competitions, you're in a conference within the IHSA. Uh, and in your conference, that's typically a regional conference, so you're not playing Fort Wayne when you're from Bloomington, you're playing a region. And if that region, and this came out with our Hoosier Hills Career Center discussion too, if that region that you're dependent on starts and gets out earlier than you do, and you're the late one, that starts to have impacts on your ability just to make it there um, at a reasonable time to participate. The Hoosier Hills situation was the same, that we have feeder schools coming uh, into that program, and it's the largest career uh, vocational ed center in Region 8 of Indiana. And those schools are all starting at 7.30, and they're feeding in. So when we talk about some of those shifts, that's where um, that cascades. But in the life of a school, again, when you start moving that window and you slide that scale around, all of those moving parts that you mentioned start to slide with it. Mm -hmm. When do the earliest kids start getting on buses? Uh, prior to our change, so currently, our first pickup for secondary is 5.45 a.m. Uh, with this whole transportation study, we're doing a, a completely new reroute, and we're looking at our first pickup somewhere in the ballpark of 6.45. Okay. Um, Dr. Birkin, your, you know, your experience, again, with uh, 
running a, a school corporation, which how, how big was Franklin Township? Was it roughly the same size as MCCSC? Nine, 10,000 students. Yeah, so just slightly smaller, but not very not very much. I mean, what are some of the other issues that, you know, are, were on your desk uh, constantly that you can think of? I mean, the school day, you said you'd like to stay away from the length of the school day if you could possibly could. Um, were there other hot-button issues that, that – well, let me go back and address a question you okay, asked sure. just a minute ago. Sure. You, know, you ask what are kids like early in the morning uh, uh, in schools in general, um, and it's an interesting question. While I don't want my response to marginalize the concerns of the CDC that students get eight and a half, nine hours of sleep, or the concerns about circadian rhythms for teenagers and adolescents, they, they should be up later and sleep more in the mornings. But when, as principal, not necessarily superintendent, I heard from teachers all the time that I, it's really difficult for me to handle students early in the morning because they're so sleepy and, and because they're, you know, just uh, they didn't eat breakfast or they're, they're just getting to school in the morning. And then I heard from other teachers, it's really difficult for me to handle these kids just before lunch because they're getting all excited, they're hungry, and lunch is an issue for them. And then I hear, gee, right after lunch, it's really difficult to deal with these kids because they're coming back from lunch where they've had a lot of activity and they're excited and they, you know, they got the sugar buzz. And then it's really difficult from some teachers to handle them at the end of the day because the end of the day, you know, they're excited about going home and they've been there all day and they're tired. So if you listen to all that, there's about 30 minutes in the morning and afternoon when you can really teach kids, and I don't buy that. <laughs> um, a really good teacher is going to maximize the academic learning time for those kids regardless of when they show up. So what you should see, uh, regardless of their beginning times, and again, I'm not marginalizing concerns over length of uh, the sleep time or the circadian rhythms, but regardless of it, you should see teachers maximizing that academic learning time for kids and kids being engaged in the business and being good students. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of engaging those kids no matter what time of day it is. Yeah, yeah. you know, again, it comes down to what's reasonable, what uh, what balance can you strike with your parents and your community and your students and your teachers uh, to address, you know, the sleep time, the circadian rhythms, the transportation issues, all these issues about when are, is it best and easiest to teach kids. And But in the end, we want those kids engaged every minute there in school. And I want to ask, uh, and I guess get some feedback from all of you about the fact that, you know, everybody looks at the school experience from their own perspective, whether you're a, a former student, as we all are, all adults are, or as a parent, because we're looking at it from our experience, but but there are so many different experiences that kids bring to school. It could be somebody's coming from a two-parent household with uh, at a fairly comfortable income level, and other kids are coming from a situation where they're actually homeless and don't have that. I mean, how how are schools expected to try to to like fulfill the needs of all those different kinds of students? I think. You know, I'll take it uh, to start with. In that calendar process and in the school day, I was the the funnel for all input that we had. So if it was input at a public forum, if it was input through an email, if it was input through our online forum, the calendar one, we had over a thousand comments. On the school day, we had somewhere around, I don't remember the number off the top, somewhere around 600. Um, 
in those comments, literally, you could read one that says, don't you dare get rid of Wednesday Late Start. It's great for my kids. And the next one says, Wednesday Late Start is a disaster for me and my husband. We're working. Um, and you you know, you look at that, and it really is that balance. And, you know, my background working in nonprofits and the public sector here in Bloomington and working in youth services programs, I've worked with kids who get picked up by the bus in the morning, have breakfast at school, have lunch at school, came to my after-school program, we fed them dinner and took them home at 9 o'clock. Those are kids who needed a place to be from you know sunup to sundown, but we have other families that don't need that. So it all, again, goes back to that word balance and finding, striking that balance, what's best for kids. Mm-hmm. You ask about the tasks that face school districts. And when you look at what happens in a school district, it's amazing. Um, transportation provides a, a system that has the logistics that are every bit as important as the post office in your community. And we run just as many bus hours as they run package delivery. We deliver children back and forth to schools, let alone envelopes. And then you look at the cafeteria and the lunches. We're in any community, that school is typically the largest food service provider in that community. And people don't think about that, but by the time we serve breakfast to a large number of students and then we feed them at noon, and then often there are after-school activities that we're selling them food for or to families. Uh, and in between that, uh, we employ thousands of uh, workers and teachers to maintain huge facilities. And again, in a typical community, you look at the square feet under roof and the largest uh, facilities belong to the school corporation. We have to maintain them. We have to clean them. Uh, and then on top of that, you look at the schedule in a major high school. You've got three, 4,000 kids in a school that you move seven times a day into the classrooms of 120 teachers and make sure they all get there on time and well. It's a tremendous undertaking to work mm-hmm. in a public school. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then beyond that, uh, we have wonderful social service agencies, especially here in Monroe County. It's very unusual, but we have social workers in our schools uh, employed by the school corporation. And, uh, and we have people that are coming in and they're doing health checks on the kids. So, you know, your eyes and your, and your teeth and, and some other things. And, and so schools are, are tasked by society with, with doing way more than educating. Uh, one of the issues that came up um, in Facebook chatting after the uh, new school day was released was the amount of parents who are like, oh, now that we're shifting back just to nine, I got to add childcare in the morning and I was saving some money and and I really you know um, try that on and feel a little bit bad because I'm just remembering when I had three kids and had the childcare expense so uh, everything you do um, it's a, it is an educational um, endeavor to begin with and the fact that we do so much for so many and have such a great community here um, that is engaging with us is um, something I'm really grateful for. Mm-hmm. All right, we have a phone call, so let's uh, let's go to the phone. And Brad is from North Vernon calling in. Brad, yeah, I, I just wanted to. Uh, I don't have a question so much as to maybe pass on a bit of information. You touched briefly on Central Time. Yes, sir. And I'm not an expert by any means, but there's been a large push with a petition and getting to the legislature to get on Central Time, and a huge part of that has been student safety and student metabolism. 
Uh, and I've been on their website just now trying to look and find this, but if I remember right, over half of the school districts in the state have signed the petition so far mm-hmm. to go to Central Time for that very reason, to get the start time, mm-hmm. to make sense with daylight. Right. Now, you're, uh, North Vernon is over near Columbus, correct? We're southeast Columbus. Southeast yeah. Columbus, yeah. So you're not, mm-hmm. you're not close to the Central District now. But, no, uh, no, and I'll you, be honest, I'm, I'm a proponent of Central Time. Uh-huh. I think this is, uh, yeah, I think it's a big problem. But I just wanted to pass on a little more information. Okay, we appreciate it. Okay. Th- thanks a lot, Brad. Thanks for Thank giving you. us a call. We have about uh, eight or nine minutes to go in the program, so you still have time to call in if you want to. 812-855-0811 in Bloomington, 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area, and you can join the live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, and you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. Somebody did ask a question on our live chat about uh, households with two working parents and how they might deal with the changes. I think you kind of addressed that just a little bit and talking about how you know all these and I think the word the cascading effect goes into play here because you know parents do have to deal with whatever changes are going to be made. Well, I can tell you that one of the things that I did in response to hearing some of these concerns from you know younger working parents. Um, and realizing, you know, that we, we want to be helpful is, you know, looking within your each individual school uh, corporation and, and establishing that strong network of parents because we can share. I did when my kids were little. We, we could share before and after school care. Um, and I sent a note to Dr. DeMuth to ask her to look at the feasibility of reinstating what used to be um, – uh, something that I thought was nice is if parents were committing to have their kids in before and after school five days a week, that they get, did get a discounted rate, and it was different. And somewhere along the line, that was eliminated. It was there in 1995, 2000, somewhere in that vein. And somewhere now, it became just a here's the af- morning rate and here's the afternoon rate. Um, and I and I just know as a working parent that having that teeny bit of discount when you have two kids in daycare can really be helpful. And, and our and our schools are providing daycare, so that's another thing that they're that they are dabbling in. We have five minutes to go, and I'm just going to you know throw you I guess a curveball and change the topic just briefly. I want to talk about iStep and about standardized testing. This is the week that iStep testing is going on, right? Right, Tim? right. And uh, we had a story in our paper today from you know a parent that once would really like to opt her kids out, but there's some effects that, that would happen with the school corporation if, if fewer and fewer kids take it. So I just want to kind of throw up in the conversation about, you know, what should we do about the issue of accountability? If you had legislators here with us, what should we do about the issue of accountability, standardized testing, and what it's doing to or for the students in the state of Indiana? What would be your ideal system, Tim? My ideal system, yes, sir. Uh, as a parent or as a school employee, no, I I think it's one and the same. I think a return to the fundamental question of why we are testing kids with a standardized assessment, and if the answer to that is you know a temperature check of where they are so we can adjust instruction, it's returning to something that does that. And we've had tools like that in the past where you take two or three times a year and you get results immediately and you can adjust instruction. But what it's turned into now where we have you know, a, a massive standardized test and it's nine, 10 months later when we get the results back, you can't make any you know, changes. And you're also comparing 
apples to oranges. And this year we have a new test, so it's apples to oranges to bananas. You know, it's one thing after another. It's not doing what it's meant to do. Um, and a return to something that can do that is really, you know, what I would and I think the school corporation would advocate for. Okay. Jenny? Well, I actually went to the State Board of Education, and what I said to them is, what, do, what are we valuing in our educational system? What do we value in our education? And if the focus is on the testing, then we're not looking at our students, and we're not thinking about how to engage them in their learning. A, a test is a, is a one-time shot. It measures what's happening with that kid on that day in that particular time zone. And it is no way a, a fundamental um, of value to me as a parent because it doesn't represent my child. It doesn't represent most of the children I know. And their teachers really do know where they're at. They really do know what is hooking that kid into their learning. And that's what I want to do. I want to put the, this idea of formative assessment, make it standardized if you want to do one of them. But, but really, let's let our teachers get out there and, and spend time delivering the education instead of spending time practicing on the test and then spending all this uh, enormous amount of time on the testing. It's disruptive. Mm -hmm. Okay. Dr. Burke. Have a few hours. Yeah, right. <laughs> we have two minutes. <laughs> um, uh, I would go back to the initiation of ISTEP way back when. Um, it was intended to help identify students who were struggling in school so we could provide remediation and benefit those children. Uh, it was even the reason um, that testing was moved from the fall to the spring so that we could provide summer remediation for those kids. It's lost anymore. Um, we're now using student evaluation systems to evaluate teachers, to evaluate schools, to evaluate the education system itself. Um, I don't know that any of that is appropriate or effective or provides any incentive for anyone to perform any better. Uh, I think the problems being experienced by ISTEP currently in its administration and in the fact that we've got a new test that has no validity or reliability and we're using it to determine the pay of teachers and the success of schools, it's a tough thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, just very quickly, what kind of accountability measures would you support? Uh, if uh, I would advocate for multiple measures of accountability, meaning more than a test score, tests can certainly be a part of that, especially if you're interested in assisting those students who identified through the test as struggling. Um, but I think you have to look also at a number of different factors. Are the kids coming to school regularly? Are they healthy? Are we engaging them in, in their communities in ways beyond the achievement level on a test? Um, there are all kinds of things we can look to to help us measure the success of students in our schools that we don't. Okay. All right. We're out of time. I want to thank you all for being here. Jenny Stevens, thanks for being here. Thanks. Uh, also, Tim Pritchett, good to have you back on the program. Thank and you. Dr. Walter Burke, thank you for being with us today on Noon Edition. For producer Sophia Salaby, engineer Mike Pashkash, and my usual co-host, Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. publichealth.indiana.edu 
and Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in Southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.